Welcome to Burned by the Firewall, an Occamsec podcast. Hello and welcome to a special episode of Burned by the Firewall. Today we are joined by Occamsec CEO Mark Stanford, who will be sharing some insights into the Solar Winds hack. So, Mark, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Gavin. Uh, you've been in uh, cybersecurity for well, well over 20 years now. Given the size of this, I'm, I'm sure you've seen many hacks in the past. Do you think this is one of the largest and worst that you've seen? Yeah, I mean, I think in terms of the magnitude of, of just, you know, the number of, of systems that are affected. I mean, yesterday it came out that um, U.S. court filings have been compromised. I think that the sheer the sheer scale that this hit is is fairly unique, which I realize is not a good way to describe a hack. But I mean, there's been a few major ones in the past that 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 were pretty wide sweeping. But I think right now this yeah this this has to be one of the largest that we've seen, just in terms of the the sheer number of organizations that have been impacted, and and what's been impacted. On that note, it looks like the hack is still being uncovered. They're still digging into you know, Russia, this that nation state stuff. Um, what do you think on the response from the public and private sectors to this? I mean, I think a couple of things, right? Like, I think that what will what will happen is there'll be a lot of soul searching around why this happened, how this could have happened, what could we have done to prevent this, and then there'll be a there'll be a reaction where we try and implement lots of new controls and so on, but they'll be focused on the solar winds hack rather than the next hack, and then the next hack will come along. And this cycle will repeat itself, which is really what we've seen. I mean, what what happened here shouldn't come as a shock to anyone who's been in security for a while. I mean, there is the the the, the amount of software deployed into an environment is is vast, right? Any any environment, once you get past about five people, you're gonna have you know five different web browsers and five different WordPress. I mean, there's just so much that goes into an environment. So someone saying you know i'm going to target companies by going after that that infrastructure software and i'm going to target the supplier of that i don't really think should come as a massive shock i think what's more of a sort of you know what's more of the shock is oh no our security tools failed once again what can we do yeah i mean i guess it's difficult if you've got trusted organizations that are pushing up security updates that people would just that the it teams would just go yes we need to do this because it's a a regular update and it's been compromised yeah i mean as with anything right you put your trust in the person who makes the thing you buy right when you buy a car you put your trust in the manufacturer that you know the airbag is going to work when you have a crash right you you put you know we put our trust in these providers the problem we have in in cyber is that one provider is giving this software to, to tens of thousands of people. Nobody really has any idea what's in the software. And unlike an airbag, which is I get in my car, the airbag deploys and it saves me, software kind of goes out there and becomes ubiquitous across an environment. And you don't really know what's doing. So you have far less control over this thing that you've trusted someone to do correctly. And most of the time, your trust in them is based on something like a compliance audit, right? Like a SOC 2 or, you know, some other assessment process. 
And those don't really, I mean, unfortunately, those don't really get into the meat of where this could go wrong. Like, you know, if you say you have a secure software development lifecycle, well, we'll prove that, right? Show me that your software dev from the moment you, you have this gestation of an idea of code you're going to make till it ends up in my production environment, show me that secure. We all know that's not feasible to do, right? You, I mean, just economically, it's not possible. So we take shortcuts because we have to. We try and say, okay, I'm going to establish some level of trust in this organization to do this right. And then I'm going to have trust in my security tool vendors to make sure the stuff they're giving me does what it says. And all those elements of trust are going to combine to let me sleep at night. And the problem is that's just... It's just built on a fantasy that doesn't work, right? Yep, absolutely. And just to kind of circle back to the uh, the beginning of the questions, I guess, um, in terms of what happened so far, do we actually know what's happened? Do we actually believe in the narratives that we're we're being fed at the moment? Well, attribution is really hard in in cybersecurity, right? As we know, I mean, I can, you know, I can log on to any system, making it seem like I'm coming from any country in the world fairly easily. I think, however, we we have to accept the narrative of, of, of how this has happened for now because we just there's no alternative, right? I mean, if someone comes up with, "Hey, this is what really happened," then cool, then we'll say, "Okay, you know, we were wrong." But I think for now, it's you know, it's state actors and they compromised Solar Winds and they got this software out there. Now we all know that there's this creeping tendency within the security industry and the, the larger world to say every attack is a state actor, you know, a nation state did this, and we can discuss why that may be the case. But I think right now, yeah, the narrative as it stands is the narrative we have. So that's what we should go with. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, given that, uh, you know, there are some, some theories that basically their security was just in terribly bad and anyone could have got into it doesn't really help that it has to be the ultimate most well-funded organizations doing it but well yeah i mean i don't i mean i think the 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 thing about cybersecurity, right is it's it it is really asymmetric right i mean and this is a thing that's been banded around for a while now you know this concept of asymmetric warfare but i mean one person who's really motivated with a laptop and is thinking you know what can i do that will inflict damage they're, they're going to go after those weak points, right? And if you look at a company for SolarWinds, and SolarWinds has been around for a long time, right? I mean, I used to use SolarWinds back in 2001 when we were doing assessments, right? And it was around long before that as well. So it's it's been out there for a while. And if you're doing an assessment of a target that supplies companies, you may well go through a thought process where you say, all right, what companies make software? Okay, these guys, right? Which ones have been around for a while? These guys. Which ones aren't really knocking it out of the park financially? These ones. And then I can do some digging and find out, well, who's offshore dev or who's doing this? And you can build up a profile fairly easily of who are the weakest targets, right? And, and that's, again, that's what you do if you're a competent bad guy, right? You work out who's the weakest target I can go after to get the biggest gain. And I think that too often in security, we like to do a bit of navel gazing and say, well, there's this really fantastic attack I could do if I take this and this and this and this and this, and it will achieve this. 
But it's like, all right, or I could just hit you over the head with a crowbar, right? I mean, it's it, that's the kind of mindset that we tend to overlook. Yeah, and I guess also in terms of like, you know, the bad guys, they can play the long game. They can actually wait for systems to become out of date and unpatched and all sorts of things. So it's not a, 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 I need to find this hole right now. It's like, I can sit around and wait. I've got time. Yeah, I mean, again, right? The, 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 yeah, I mean, you, you are taking that long game because your objective is, is, to, is to breach and, and achieve a goal, right? And so that, I used to give this talk, right? Where I, where I used to sort of paraphrase it as, you know, the business of the people who are trying to, to mess with you is to mess with your business, right? And that, that yes. that's really what's going on. And I said it in far more colorful terms what I used to talk about. Um, <laughs> but, but that's what's going on, right? So if I have to wait six months for you to push out an update, but when that happens, I gain access to 250 different organizations and all kinds of financial data. <laughs> we, can, we can hold on a second there. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a busy, busy day in New York City. Um, I mean, I think that, yeah, I mean, the long game is viable as long as you can afford it, right? And if it's nation-state actors, they can wait around for a while. And even if it's not nation-state actors, like, I don't believe every single attack that goes on is a nation-state actor. It just, it just isn't possible, right? I don't believe that all the governments in the world are the cause of every single breach that occurs, right? I think that is an easy cop-out. But I do think if, if 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 you can play that long game, the benefits are massive. Because on the flip side, CISOs are absolutely not playing the long game because they just can't, right? I mean, I mean the average CISO is going to come into an organization, right? Usually, they've come in because, well, they've always come in because the former CISO is left. And then it's either, okay, the CISO before you did all this stuff. And then we got breach. So we fired him. You got to come fix it. Or, okay, you're the new CISO because we have some new requirement. You got to go fix it. And then the CISO in the back of their minds from all accounts is probably thinking to themselves, all right, I've got about a two-year life expectancy here, right? Now, there are some CISOs that, that I know have been around much longer. But on average, I think it's like an 18 to 24-month life expectancy, right? You can't take a long game. If you're that CISO, you have to come in and you have to have an impact straight away because, you know, you want to get a bonus and, you know, your kid wants the G.I. Joe with the Kung Fu grip for Christmas. Right. I mean, you've, you've got you've got to do all that. Right. So you, you've got this massive sort of contradiction of, of, of approaches. I'm a bad guy. I can take the long game. You're the good guy. you got to do stuff quickly. Right. You, you've got to have an impact because you need to show your employer that you are you are value for money on that note given the sheer number of organizations that have been affected uh, and some of them are you know technically have advanced security programs what what is the answer to mitigating from such an attack happening again or is that not really possible i think i think there is an answer i think that i mean that right now so you know part part of my job right is to sell Occamset to people, right? So let's just, you know, I can pretend that's not, but it is, right? And so right now, in the world of selling cybersecurity, there is this giant push that everything you were doing was wrong, 
throw it all out, start again, buy my tool, it's brilliant, you'll be safe, right? That's complete crap, right? That's not going to work, right? That is the absolute wrong approach. Because also, you don't want to be, you know, the CISO who someone says, you just spent, you know, a million bucks on this thing, it's wrong, buy this instead. I mean, it's, it's, just, it's just not the way to go. So I think what we need to do is we need to look at the look at the controls we have, right? But we also need to look at the technologies we have and how can we use those. I mean, and in in a simple way, if you think about a web server, right? Everyone worries about buying WAFs and other security devices to protect web servers, which is all well and good, but you can harden web servers and operating systems that gets you 60% of where you need to go, right? But if you don't do that basic thing, then you start building this Tower of Babel where you deploy more and more security controls. So I think what you do is you say, all right, what do I have right now? And is that working as well as it could, right? And the answer usually is no, it's not, right? Everyone buys stuff and they don't know what hospital functions are because they don't have time because they're, they're up against all these other pressures. So I think look at what you've got in your environment and work out, is it doing what it needs to do? But then also, rather than say, how could I prevent its solar winds? Ask, how can I stop the next crisis from coming, right? Because if you think about the solar winds attack again, if you were that bad actor, you would have sat around and said, you know, what software is there in organizations that will get me in the door and no one's gonna know about because it's boring, mundane software that nobody likes, right? There are other things like that out there, right? Like, is your antivirus software secure, right? If I could get an update into an AV tool, I mean, I'd have access to every Windows box that it's on, right? And every other OS that's on. If, you know, everyone's working remotely now, so everyone's using VPNs, what if I compromise your VPN software, right? Um, you know, other network monitoring tools that are out there, other agents that, that are on there, you know, the bank that I used to work at. I mean, there was probably like eight different agents installed on half the machines, right? Um, I don't think people think that agents on boxes are sexy software, so they probably don't worry about them that much, right? So, you know, what else is in my environment that if someone was to attack, would give them the keys to the kingdom and I wouldn't know about it until it's too late. I think those kinds of things are useful. And you can, you know, you, you don't need to do massive projects to work that out. You just kind of need to sit down for a couple of days around a whiteboard and say, right, what have we got? Where is it deployed? What do we know about the vendor? How many updates do we get? And, and so on and so forth. Those are the things that you can do to mitigate this. Right, or so it makes it. Reduce the chance that, you don't get impacted by it. So maximizing visibility on pinch points, specifically working backwards. Yeah, and, and, and maximize, you know, truly try and maximize the return on investment, right? <laughs> Terrible phrase, right? Um, maximize the return on investment for the things you've bought. Why are you going, I mean, you know, it's a really, it's probably a decent use case right now, business case, to go to your boss, your CISO and say, hey, this solar winds tax just happened. We should buy this. Because if we buy this tool, which which looks like it's pretty good, it will stop this, right? Which is a perfectly good, you know, thought process to have. But in the long term, 
what tends to happen is you buy those tools and then they don't work or they break or they get bypassed. And then, you know, someone comes back to you and says, yo, you just said we should have bought this tool to stop this, but we just got hacked. You just cost us all this money. Have a nice day. Enjoy your next job, right? So I think if instead you say, let me work out what does my estate look like? What, can, what capabilities do I have right now? And how am I not using them effectively, right? Yeah, so I think you actually answered, all that answered my next question, which was if I, if I am a business and I'm worried about, you know, the hack and what's just happened what should i be doing about it uh, i think you've just underlined that <laughs> yeah and then i mean also you know and this is a conversation i was having with someone the other day right look at the things you do right now you know look look at the security assessments and processes look at all that stuff and say am i really getting the biggest bang for the buck like you know if we take security awareness right which anyone who talks to me a lot knows that for the most part i think is an utter waste of time right um, for reasons we don't need to go into, right? But the way a security awareness program typically works is I'm going to send out a bunch of phishing emails and then people are going to click on them. And I'm going to produce a report that says 10 people clicked on this. Let me go, you know, send them on a training course, right? That's like, that's like a crap return on investment, right? Because all you're going to go and do is train those 10 people. And then in six months time, you're going to have 10 more people and 10 more people because there's a whole bunch of reasons why security awareness training doesn't work to solve that problem. But what you can do with your security awareness training is do it. And if you deliver, if if you do things that bad guys will actually do, so try and deliver malicious payloads, you can test the controls you've got and say, okay, we did a fish against 50% of our employees. 27 of them clicked on this payload this payload got through my spam filter, therefore my spam filter is broken. And also I didn't see the beaconing that came out of that payload, therefore my monitoring tools aren't working. Focus on those, that will give you bigger bang for the buck, right? So just change yeah. the way you're thinking about doing these things, right? There's, there's been a conversation around like survivorship bias, right? So the things that the things that we tend to do in the long term tend to be the things that other people have done that we all think sort of work, but it's not correct, right? It doesn't mean it's correct. I mean, if you look, you know, for 50 years, everyone was smoking because it was healthy. Oh, actually, no, it's wrong. Don't do that, right? It took a long time to get there, right? It's the same sort of thing now. Like, we have to be prepared to say the things that we've been doing aren't the most effective uses of our time and, and if we and if we can actually be honest in that we can probably start to put ourselves in a better spot and you can do that regardless of your budget right a two-person shop that sells cupcakes can do that just as much as the largest bank in the world can do that right i think the lesson to learn the first one is don't go and don't go and read all the other lessons learned right because they're all just going to be these these reactive postures on you should have done this right um i think the lesson to learn is your environment is really complicated right and that complexity allows you to do cool things but it's also potentially a, a source of weakness right and realize that you know the person you're up against doesn't care about your your security program maturity right they don't, they don't care about your budget cycle. They don't care about your fish. 
They don't care about anything, right? All they care about for, for, for themselves is achieving their goal. And their goal is to get into your environment, right? And you should, you should always have that thought process in the back of your mind. At the same time, you've got to have this thought process of, well, I've got this budget and my business wants to do this. How can I enable the business to do this? So how do I enable the business to achieve its objectives whilst thinking about there's this person out there who probably wants to try and, you know, cost me my job, right? Think about that. That's the lesson to be learned, right? That Again, stop as much as you can. Try to avoid, you know, taking the easy way out, right? I mean, again, compliance, you know, which is going to be thrown all around during this, right? If everyone had been compliant, none of this wouldn't happen. You know, I was reading today, you know, if, if we had regulations for compliance for software security, but the problem with that is when I write what my compliance checklist is, if I'm the bad guy, I can get access to your compliance checklist because it's usually some sort of standard. And that just gives me a roadmap of what your security controls are. So that should be your baseline. But realize you, that, that, that you have to do these things that, you know, that kind of like outside your comfort zone. You have to think about, again, what the bad guys do, you know. How do I stop that? And also, I think the lesson you learn is don't rush in and buy a whole bunch of new security tools because you're just going to spend a lot of money that that isn't necessarily going to help you. And, you know, it's just, yeah, there's just no there's no benefit to that. Fantastic. All right. Well, thanks for that, Mark. And um, so I guess in terms of wrapping this up, are there any closing thoughts you'd like to share with us? Yeah, I mean... I think one other thing that's that's kind of got swept away in this, right, is Solar Winds wasn't the wasn't the only large security problem at the end of 2020, right? I mean, the week before Solar Winds was breached, FireEye was breached, right? And that that should bring with it a whole bunch of questions as well. Because again, FireEye is this really complex organization, right? It's big, it's large, there's a lot of, you know, they make some cool stuff, they have a lot of good people, right? And and they got breached as well. Now, what was breached there and so on, it seems like some tools were leaked, it doesn't, and I guess the fact that it was FireEye is, is neither here nor there, right? The fact is that security vendors get breached as well, and, and they're called upon to help solve these problems, right? So the security industry is, is in this even more strange place, right? Where, where everyone's being targeted. Because I mean, hacking a security vendor is a great idea, right? Because everyone, you know, if we go back to the start of the conversation around trust, I trust my security vendor, right? They make cool stuff. They must know what's going on. And they undoubtedly do, right? Unless we be hit with libel claims, right? Um, but, but that should still be a concern, right? I mean, there's this giant security company that got breached, right? And again, it was a nation state. Again, they didn't get so far again. Okay. But, but, but that should still, again, make you step back and say, you know, is, is, is my assessment of trust accurate? Am I putting trust too much trust in the wrong thing? Am I putting too little trust in something? Am I taking this, 
you know, I hate to use the word, but like this holistic view of my environment and saying, you know, I've got all these agents out there. I've got these security controls. I've got these ERP systems and business delivery systems and all these things, right? Are, are they working together as well as they can? Am I getting the best out of them that I can? Um, and just, you know, how is that going to play out? Because if security, because if FireEye were breached, you can bet a bunch of other companies were breached as well, right? Just because FireEye undoubtedly do have good security controls, right? Um, and so the wins, yeah, I mean, right now they're being, you know, raked over the coals because they, they offshored their development to Eastern Europe. Okay. How many companies have offshored development, right? Because pretty much every company I know is offshore development, except us actually. But, you know, everyone has, has, has sent it offshore. So are they all now at risk? Have they all been compromised as well, right? Um, so I think that there's, there's still more to come here, right? You know, we saw the other day that Microsoft said, oh, actually, they may have got access to Windows source code. Now, we don't think they put a backdoor in Windows source code because they probably didn't put a backdoor in Windows source code. But what's more interesting is if I got access to the Windows source code and I'm a nation state, I'm just going to find ODAs, right? I'm going to find vulnerabilities that I can exploit that nobody else knows about, right? So are we now at this next phase of this where we're going to start seeing new vulnerabilities identified and new exploits come out? And how are those going to play out? Because, because again, right, the problem with so much of this information security stuff is it is purely reactive, right? And you don't know, you don't know how to you sort of detect and prevent the attack that you don't know about, right? So the unknown unknowns and the known unknowns to, you know, steal from Donald Rumsfeld, right? There's still more of those to come. There's always going to be more of those to come. So it's really about how do I put myself in a position where, you know, I don't know what's going to show up, but I am in as good a spot as I can to, to, to try and fight against it. And, you know, I'm not the weakest one in this bunch, right? Because that, that buys you time, right? So I, so I think those are the things that we need to still be thinking about. I think there's a long way to go. Again, I think that the U.S. is going to get a new administration in 12 days, right? So they're, they're probably going to try and pass some kind of cybersecurity regulation. The person who's been picked to be the Secretary of Defense, I think, was running cyber, um, running some part of the cyber agency, right? So, so they, 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 they're clearly showing that we, you know, we want to do some cybersecurity regulation. In the UK, there'll probably be some regulation as well, right, which will involve the usual suspects. Europe will put out some regs as well, right? I mean, there's, there's going to be some government say on this just because it's been so far reaching. Problem is though, within any sort of government stuff is, it tends to be unfortunately fueled by lobbyists, right? So people who pay a lot tend to have some influence, right? Um, it tends to be really slow in coming about. And as far as we see, typically it tends to be the lowest bar possible, right? Like you've got to try and do this broad sweeping thing that applies to everyone. 
which tends to mean that you go for that low-hanging fruit, which is fine. But, but again, the folks you're up against, they're not low-hanging fruit people, right? I mean, to, to infiltrate the supply chain of a software company that nobody had even thought about probably for at least the last 10 years, I mean, that's a pretty good, that's a good attack, right? That's, you know, that's cool stuff from an attack perspective, right? That we would never think about. So, you know, I think we're going to get a bunch of regs. We're going to get some, some changes that will come in. But in six months time, if we're not careful, we'll all be talking about the next, the next big solo wind right? And it's probably already happened. That breach, that next breach has probably already occurred. We just don't know about it. Yeah. I mean, if you go back to the mentioning FireEye, um, if we think back to before when shadow brokers released the NSA tool set mm-hmm. and that, that was there were, the fallout from that was seen for, for a good year, year and a half after that. So we were seeing, I think that the biggest hack of 2019 was, was using part of that tool set. So, yeah, I mean, again, right. I mean, there's just, there's just so much software out there and, and we, and also we, we, we tend to focus on the fact that, you know, this is a big tech problem. It's a big tech problem, right? But as much as it's a tech problem, it's a it's a business problem, right? It's a business issue because you know why is there why is there that Windows ninety five box still in my network? Well, because we have this application that we have to run because it's twenty five percent of our revenue, so we can't switch that box off. Okay, so what do I do about? It? Well, from a security perspective, you should just replace it. But it's like, well, I can't do that because then I'm going to suddenly lose twenty five percent of my revenue. I'm going to fire you. So we need to start thinking about this in, in business and organization terms as well, right? I mean, there's, there's lots of different views that start to sort of fly in once you think about how businesses really work and how cybersecurity is almost counter to that, right? I mean, cybersecurity is a cost. Business exists to make a profit. The lower my costs are, the more profit I make. If you start at that point, then maybe you can figure out a way to make this better. Because if you think about that as well, on the flip side, for the bad guy, I make profit by by breaching you, right? So my profit motive is the opposite of your cost-cutting motive, right? So that, it, it, it just makes this crazy dynamic that we always avoid. Like, we always avoid, you know, the elephant in the room, right? Which is that, right? You know, everyone wants to keep costs low in software development, in in IT security, in their tech stacks, in, in all those things, because because you got to make profit, right? Yeah. And I'm and, and, and I'm not speaking about that like some sort of crazy socialist because I am I'm a fully versed capitalist at this point, right? But 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 you know. We have to work out some new approaches to doing this because right now it, it, it doesn't work. Like we'll, we'll keep going back and saying, how did this happen? How did this happen? We know how this happened, right? Like this is not, this is not like some alien spaceship showed up with some brand new way of cyber attacks. This is, this is red team, you know, 101 type stuff, right? Infiltrate supply chain, work out, you know, how that supply chain is working, implant something in there, let it get distributed out, have a good day, right? That's not rocket science, right? It takes it takes some 
it takes some logistics and resources to do it. But, you know, we've had discussions around this topic with clients, you know, hundreds of times, right? I mean, we've done supply chain simulations, right? Where we said, we're attack here, we'll do this. We're attack here, we'll do this. And again, right, with the rush to the cloud, we're probably, we're probably, you know, exacerbating the risk even further because now we've got this concentration risk where we're all sticking our stuff on boxes that we don't control and data centers that we don't own, run by administrators that we don't employ, um, which economically makes perfect sense. But from security, uh, I don't know, because you, you, you can posit the idea that, well, if I use one of these four vendors and I don't worry about security, they're going to invest in making sure their security is fantastic, which works to a point until you also realize that they too have to make profit, right? Amazon has shareholders, right? Microsoft has shareholders, right? They, they just want dividends and returns, right? And profit, right? So those things are always going to run counter to each other. And, and that's what we need to try and work out, which we should probably do by hiring Arkansas. <laughs> Excellent. Nice, <laughs> nice plug towards the end. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty lame as a plug. But anyway, no worries. <laughs> Uh, oh, fantastic. Well, Mark, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Dad. If any of these uh, topics interest you or you'd like further information or want to talk to someone, then um, feel free to uh, email us at uh, info at And we look forward to seeing you next time. Mm-hmm.